with me this evening to Judges chapter 14. I don't know if it's just me, but I'm hot. It's hot in here to me. Somebody turned the heat on. Tonight we are looking again at the character of a man named Samson. We were introduced to the character of Samson last week when we saw the the principles of being a good parent drawn from the life of Samson's parents. Let me reiterate that uh, Samson's parents had done all they could, could all they could have been expected to do to raise Samson in a godly home. The life of Samson graphically illustrates the truth that even children that are raised in the best of Christian homes can fail God. They can shame their parents and fall short of their God-given potential. Samson was born by God's direct intervention. He was blessed with godly parents. He was blessed by God as he grew into manhood. He was divinely appointed to an important ministry and equipped by the Holy Spirit with unequaled physical strength. Clearly, Samson lacked nothing. Lois Cheney wrote a parable in her book. The book's title is God is No Fool. The parable was once there was a man who said, if I had some extra money, I'd give it to God, but I have just enough money to support myself and my family. Same man said, well, if I had some extra time, I'd give it to God, but every minute is taken up with my job and my family and my obligations every single minute. He also said, if I had a talent, I would give it to God, but I have no special skill. I've never been able to lead a group. I can't think cleverly or quickly the way I would like to. And God was touched. And he gave the man money and time and a glorious talent. And then he waited. And he waited. And he waited. And then after a while, God shrugged his shoulders and took back all three gifts. After a while, the man sighed and said, If I only had some of that money back, I'd give it to God. If I only had some of that time, I'd give it to God. If I only could rediscover that glorious talent, I would give it to God. And God said, oh, shut up. God is no fool. God gave Samson amazing gifts. And yet he squandered and ignored the resources that God had given him. He was a man of great potential and even greater tragedy because his life is a story of wasted potential. This evening I want us to examine this life of such great potential and see if we can determine what led him to such a life of ruin. This evening I want us to see that Samson gives us three easy steps to spiritual ruin. For people like Les Hoff, I just want to make clear, I'm not suggesting that you take these three steps. Les was all concerned this morning about that I was going to teach you how to go to spiritual ruin. You're supposed to take it and apply it and not go that way, Les. 
Now, first of all, your outline is all wrong. Your scriptures are all wrong. My wife slipped me some new drugs last night, I guess. I don't know what it is, but uh, she's not really to blame. But all of the chapter 13 references are chapter 14 references, if you have not discovered that already. I was really disappointed in all of you because nobody pointed that out, so none of you had looked. <laughs> the first easy step in spiritual ruin is to disregard your scriptural limitations. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Samson went down to Timnah, and there he saw a beautiful Philistine woman, and it was lust at first sight. And so he went home, and he told his parents about his experience and how this godly couple must have had their hearts broken over his decision. Many Christian parents have stood where Samson's parents stood. They have faithfully taught and prayed for and to sit disciplined and loved a son or daughter only to see that child willfully go away from God and away from the Lord. And no one can deny that that is anything but devastating. Now this is something that still has as much application today as it did then and it still is the principle and God hasn't changed his mind on that and that is that believers are to marry other believers. When we do not heed that directive, we do so to our own hurt. This command makes perfect sense if you stop to consider it, since otherwise the one thing in your lives, which should be the most important thing in your life, your faith, is the one thing that you cannot share with the most important person in your life, your mate. God, through his word, has placed certain scriptural limitations in our lives. It's not possible for me tonight to list off all the scriptural obligations that God may have laid out in his word, but simply to say the first step in spiritual ruin is to disregard what the Bible says about our behavior. The second easy step to spiritual ruin is to despise your spiritual heritage. Samson was by God's decree a Nazarite all of his life. A Nazarite vow is spelled out in Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and it had three primary components or three primary prohibitions. I have to admit that the Nazarite, Nazarite vow really didn't make practical sense to me until I understood that each of, what the, each of these vows meant to the life of the person who was making it. He was, first of all, to abstain from all fruit of the vine, all products of the vine, grapes, wine, raisins, all great products. This was a sign that he was to live a simple life. Remember, 
John the Baptist and his ministry and his special diet. The thing about his special diet was that it was so simple. It, there was not any luxuries. And that was to be the sign of Samson's life as well. Secondly, he was not to cut his hair. You think about that for a while and you think, well, what possible significance does it have whether or not he cuts his, his hair? The only visible public sign of his vow was his hair. People looked at him, they saw his beard, they saw his, the length of their, his hair, and they knew that he had a Nazarite vow. It was, his, it was a public sign of his vow to other people. And third, he was to avoid contact with the dead. Now, other than just the sanitary reasons of not being in contact with the dead, there's a religious reason, and that is that every time a person came in contact with the dead, they could not go into the presence of God. They were shut off from the fellowship of God. So this was a sign that by avoiding this, that Samson was to remain in constant fellowship with God. It's pretty astounding to witness how many times it is revealed that Samson broke his vows in his adult life. No, no, number one, when his father objects to his marriage in spite of the scriptures forbidding it, Samson is determined to marry the woman anyway. And we'll look at that a little bit more later. Secondly, in verse number five, <clears throat> It says, so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Does anything strike you about where he's at? Not only is he in Philistine country, which is the enemy, he's in a vineyard. What, man, what purpose does a man who cannot partake of any grape product have in a vineyard? He was in a place that he didn't need to be. Now, to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. So as Samson travels down to arrange the wedding, he passes through a vineyard. Obviously, a vineyard's a dangerous place for a man who's not supposed to have anything to do with grapes. In verse 6, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father and mother, what he had done. And then he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. The third mistake is found in verses 8 and 9. No, no, number 3. After some time, it says, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion, and he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. So after arranging for the wedding, as Samson travels back home, his curiosity led him to look for the carcass of the lion he had killed. And there, to his surprise, he found a swarm of bees had created a honeycomb in the carcass of the lion. Samson, never one to deny himself, helped himself to the honey, although in doing so, he broke yet another one of his vows, which is not to come in contact with anything dead. Just 
eight verses into his adult life, and Samson has already broken his vows three times, displaying a complete disregard for his spiritual heritage. Sometimes we have to wonder what our own actions reveal about our regard for our spiritual heritage. The third easy step to spiritual ruin is to defy your spiritual authorities. It says, and so he went up, this is chapter 15, and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines, and now therefore get her for me, for she at, she for me as a wife. Then in verse 3 it says, Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren, among all our, my people, that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? If there is one thing in life... It's the fact that we don't like to admit that we have any authorities in our lives. We are a free people. Why should anyone have the right to tell us what to do? Samson had been blessed in life with parents who knew the Lord in a personal way, who were committed to obeying him, which made him a part of a very small minority, even in Israel at that time. Every person alive has several God-ordained authorities in their lives. One of those, according to Ephesians chapter 6, are parents. The others, according to Romans chapter 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2, is government. The third, Ephesians 6 and 1 Peter 2, is our employer. And then according to Hebrews chapter 13, elders. Samson <clears throat> dismissed the counsel of his parents without so much as a, the courtesy of an explanation. It's a regrettable fact that even young Christian young people pass through a period of life when their parents seem unworthy of the most basic respect and consideration. Let it be said emphatically that the desire to get even with one's parents because they're trying to ruin my life is a bad decision. It can be one of the costliest errors of a lifetime. And those who have made those mistakes all too often look back over shattered lives and admit that mom and dad knew more than they were given credit for. I was always amazed by how much my parents learned from the time I was 16 until the time I was about 20. At 16, I wasn't quite sure whether my parents could get in and out of the rain by themselves. And then by 20, I found myself going to ask their advice. They had learned so much in that time, I just couldn't, I couldn't believe it that they had learned so much. Samson's criteria for selecting a mate is not hidden. It's pretty clear, and it's very shadow. She looks good to me. That simple sentence reveals volumes about the character of Samson. 
Verse 3, Samson says to his father, Get her for me, she pleases me well. Verse 4 is at first a little puzzling to us, but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines, for at the time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Now Samson's desire to marry the Philistine woman, we are told, was from the Lord but not in the sense that God approved of Samson wanting to marry this particular woman, particularly as it violated Scripture. But because God was going to overrule Samson's disobedience for his own glory. In a similar fashion, God can and does overrule some of our foolish mistakes and sins to accomplish his purposes. That doesn't mean that the decision we made in the first place was a good one. Samson's early life can be presented in a summary form as the classic boy meets girl story. Boy meets girl, verse 1. Boy wants girl, verse 2. He liked her looks. Boy demands girl, verses 3 through 10. He demands that his parents arrange a marriage. Boy gets girl, verses 11 through 19. This uh, marriage is arranged, but at the bachelor party, Samson gambled with some very sore losers. Verse 12 says, Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. And if you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. By the way, clothing and garments were the sign of wealth. That's how you displayed your wealth. And they said to him, pose your riddle that we may hear it. And so he said, out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. It's bad enough that he had disobeyed God and broken his vow, but to make a joke out of it had really sunk to an all-time low. Over a three-day period, his guests are unable to unravel that riddle. And so in verse 15, they pay a surprise visit to the bride. But it came to pass on the seventh day, this is the last day, and they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us. You ought to underline these next two words. What are they? Or else. You know what or else means, don't you? When somebody says, if you don't do this, or else got bad consequences ahead of you. It says, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you <clears throat> invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? And then Samson's wife wept on him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you've not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my mother or father, so should I explain it to you? And now she wept on him the seven, day, seven days while their, fa 
the feast lasted, and it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. And then he explained the riddle to the sons of her people, and so the men of the city said to him on the seventh day, before the sun set, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. I'm going to give you men some advice. I suggest you forget you ever heard that phrase. Promptly. And I would suggest you never, ever, ever use it with your wife. I'm going to tell you that she will not think it's funny. And if you come with a black eye next Sunday, I will know that you did not heed my advice. Finally, boy loses girl. Samson leaves in a huff. Leaves the bride behind, by the way. And so the, fa the father of the bride marries her off to the best man. Verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon, and he killed 30 of their men. He took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. And so his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So Samson gets angry that his wife has told the enemy... He stomps off down the road about 20 miles to another Philistine town, kills 30 guys, takes their clothes. He thinks that's only fair. Takes it back to the other Philistine the town at Timnah, throws it at their feet, stomps off home. Boy really loses girl. Chapter 15, verses 1. It says, After a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that uh, Samson visited his wife with a young goat. He said, Let me go into my wife, into her room, but her father would not permit him to go in. <clears throat> her father said, I really thought <clears throat> you thoroughly hated her, therefore I gave her to your companion." Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. And then, Philist then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches and turned the foxes tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails and when he set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go through the standing grain of the Philistines, and he burned up both the, the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and the olive groves. And then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And so... The Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. It's really sad to realize 
The woman had betrayed Samson because the Philistines threatened to burn her alive in her house. And when she caved in under the threat, she ended up being burned alive by the Philistines. Satan is a very hard taskmaster. And he feels absolutely no need to keep his promises. Boy avenges girl. Furious, Samson takes on the Philistines. Verse 7, Samson said to them, Since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take my revenge on you, and after that I will cease. And so he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. The enduring tragedy of Samson's early life he never really did get the girl. He never got the woman he wanted, but an even greater tragedy is that he never became the man that God wanted him to be. I want to close on a positive note that apparently Samson's life was not a complete washout, for Samson is listed in Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. Verse 32, Samson was a man of faith, but he certainly was not a faithful man. He wasn't faithful to his parents' teaching. He wasn't faithful to his Nazarite vow or the laws laid out by the Word of God. The tragedy of Samson's life is a tragedy of what might have been had he followed God's Word. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For even those bad examples in life, Samson and his tragic choices. Pray, Lord, that you'd help us and especially the young people among us this evening to beware of those traps in life, those temptations in life that might lead us away from your word, lead us away from our relationship with you, lead us away from our spiritual heritage. Father, help us to recognize that your word and the prohibitions that are found there are there for our good. They're there because you want to protect us from those things that would harm us. Father, I pray that you'd help us to open our eyes and to see that uh, each day we make decisions that have consequences. Consequences in our lives and consequences in the lives of those around us. Thank you again for loving us and caring for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?